Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, I was trying to log in with a new system uh, so that I could start doing videos. Oh, now we're okay. But it was something at the radio station, evidently. they well, Everything said it was okay, but then it logged me into some other program. <laughs> so... And I had to re-log in after the, I realized it's not really connecting me with Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, we're here. And uh, we're going to be talking about some of the same things that we talked about this morning. Uh, someone by the name of Mendel House, who said something a long time ago. And uh, he uh, was uh, leading people. To think certain things supposedly in what he said, but I have not found evidence that he actually said it. And I talked about it this morning, kind of led into it, you know, he talked about Americans will be required to register their biological property. That sounded a little peculiar for somebody who's talking back in 1913. And around that period of time anyway. And uh, be our chattel, he said. Forever remain economic slaves. Now, of course, people hear that in relationship to a guy who was uh, advisor to Woodrow Wilson, and they think, well, this guy has, uh, this is what the uh, Federal Reserve did. The Federal Reserve has enslaved us and made us chattel and uh, turned us into economic slaves. And, and, of course, Americans really are economic slaves. They don't even realize that, and that's what we talked about. If it, When you were slaves in Egypt, you owed 20% of your labor to the government, and that was called slavery. One-fifth of your labor every year had to go to the government. And uh, that meant you were a slave in Egypt. And you didn't really own your animals, and you didn't really own your land. It was actually owned by the government. Uh, a little bit different way about which it came about, but... That is the definition of the bondage of Egypt. And we were never to return to the bondage of Egypt according to Deuteronomy 17, which tells us how to write a constitution and says that you should not give the power of your king, president, or prime minister the power to return you to the bondage of Egypt. Actually, you were not to be, he was not to be able to do anything that might return you to the bondage of Egypt because the government doesn't really have the power to Bring you into the bondage of Egypt. But you have the power to bring you into the bondage of Egypt. Now we, we hear the story of the bondage of Egypt is that they ran out of food because there was, there was difficult times. There was drought. There was food shortages. There was climate change. <laughs> That's why there was drought. And that meant that you were going to have to get food from somewhere else because you, you couldn't produce it. Your sheep were going to die. You, you weren't going to have enough grain to get you through a given year. The grass was all drying up. And so you had to go to Egypt. And fortunately, there was somebody in Egypt who, even though he was in Egypt because his brothers meant evil, 
They had thrown them into a pit and sold them into bondage. They sold their brother into bondage. And so now they themselves are going to go into bondage. God's going to save them because they didn't kill their brother. They thought about it. But they didn't kill him. They sold him into bondage. So they, as you judge, so shall you be judged. And so they're going into bondage. And even though they meant it unto evil, God turned it unto good. But there was there was consequences. They were going to go into bondage. They were going to be in bondage under Joseph. But it was only one-fifth. And, and Joseph was a benevolent ruler. But... Other pharaohs came along over the next three, four hundred years. And they weren't so benevolent. And they actually used crafts to increase that one-fifth. It still said one-fifth on the books. I mean, 2,000, 3,000 years later, it still said one-fifth on, on the books under Mubarak at 20%. That's what you paid in income tax. Rich or poor? And, of course, poor got exemptions, but... And, and nobody wanted to spend a lot of time trying to get 20% out of somebody who was already in poverty. But the rich only paid 20%. Well, a lot of businesses opened up in Egypt because there was such low income tax. A lot of Jews were in Egypt. And they were really kind of taking over the business back, you know, in the time of uh, Nehru and uh, leaders like that, you know, and... They just kicked all the Jews out of Egypt. I know one of them that got kicked out of Egypt. He ended up living in Canada. And just overnight, they had to leave their businesses behind. Their savings were ripped out of their bank. And they were forced to go to other countries. Get on the ship and leave. Because they were too influential in the economy. And because the government wanted to confiscate all their wealth. But that's... That's not, wasn't constitutional. <laughs> but then again, they weren't in America. They were in Egypt. Well, you're not in America anymore either. <laughs> you're in the United States. And you say, well, we have a constitution. But like I was saying this morning, and we have articles up and recordings up to take you through it step by step. And you can even go to the Bible at Preparing You and see Deuteronomy 17, uh, 16 is telling you what to put in your constitution. And they didn't put it in. And so they didn't restrict the presidents of the United States from doing anything that might return you to the bondage of Egypt. So, yeah, Woodrow Wilson let the Federal Reserve come in. The least, most popular candidate running for president was Woodrow Wilson, but he won. And we talked about that this morning on the morning broadcast, why he won. But he really won because you strayed from the ways of the kingdom of God way back a thousand years before. Yeah, a thousand years before. <laughs> you started straying from the gospel of the kingdom. And there were churches around to tell you that, oh no, that's not the gospel. It's not what it says. It actually means this over here. And, and what it means is that you can covet your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority one over the other and get benefits from the king. Although early on, the benefits they gave to the people by way of the king was a forced tax upon the wealthy, sometimes upon foreigners, sometimes upon Jews. I mean, you know, we have to look at the definition of Jews at different times in history. 
And, and if you go back, you know, the days of the Magna Carta, they mentioned Jews in the Magna Carta. You've, you are all, you're all familiar with the Magna Carta, right? <laughs> I heard two young people talking on Facebook today about World War II and discovering that, you know, that FDR did things, didn't tell people that, that was likely that Japan was going to attack Pearl Harbor. They had evidence. There's very well documented evidence that they had foreknowledge that this attack was coming and they did not alert the, the Navy or the military there in that whole harbor area of Honolulu. I knew people who were there at the time. I, 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 and their brothers were down there signing up the very first day after Pearl Harbor, but they, they had to turn them away because everybody was signing up because that's what was going to happen after Pearl Harbor because it was a day that lived in infamy because of the Japanese surprise attack. Except it wasn't a surprise to FDR. He knew about it. There's all kinds of evidence that he knew about it. But he wanted it to be a surprise attack so he could give his speech, this is a day that will live in infamy. And why did the Japanese attack? Well, the Japanese were totalitarian kind of dictators in a military-controlled uh, government. And they were invading China and Korea and Malaysia. They were invading all. They were spreading their empire everywhere and ruthlessly. And, you know, but, there is absolutely no two ways about it. The United States, based on things that were signed by FDR, was baiting them to attack. And, and sending signals that they might back off on the restrictions of trade if, you know, you raise the ante or something. And so it was a bad idea to attack Pearl Harbor, but they were suckered into it. I mean, it's a bad idea that the... The Russians invaded the Ukraine, but they did it anyway. <laughs> and, of course, they were baited to do that because way back, years and years ago, the agreement was Ukraine could be a sovereign nation. It was returned to its own sovereignty by the Soviet Union, but it had to remain neutral. No NATO. There wasn't supposed to be any NATO in, in Poland or any of these other countries that were all released from custody and control of the Soviet Union. But they did. They went into almost every one of them. And they're now in Ukraine. And they... I'm not I'm not saying anything good about Putin. You know, Putin is trying to control Russia. Lots of luck with that. And he's got oligarchs that are backing him and all this kind of stuff. But... I was just shocked at how ignorant these kids were. They, in talking, like, one of them mentioned, well, uh, I don't even know, was was FDR running for president at this time? Is that why he was keeping this a secret? Uh, was, was he, I don't even know how many terms he served. <laughs> she says, and the guy who's supposed to be enlightening us says, yeah, I don't know uh, how many terms he served. Uh, I don't know much about you know, FDR, but I'm going to make this video as if I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he didn't actually say that, but that's what he was doing. And somebody, somebody, and, and of course what he was, final conclusion is that Americans, uh, America is a really bad, evil country. That was his conclusion. So I don't know where he was going. I just couldn't watch anymore. 
<laughs> when he said that. And it was amazing because they just announced that people wanting to get into the war in Europe, in America, the numbers were down to, you know, like 75% did not want war in Europe. In some cases, it was 90% of the people in America did not want to get involved in a war in Europe. Of course, Jefferson always was against that, too. But after the day of infamy, everybody was willing to join. And, you know, if you look at... And there's lots of books that were written on this documenting how we got mixed up in the war and what FDR actually knew and what people were doing behind the scene. But you actually have to read them (laughs) if you want to know. And they have footnotes to tell you where they're getting their data and their information. Facts matter. Uh, but a few facts is dangerous. You need to get the whole story. But anyway, that, and you need the whole story about Christianity. And so that's why we're talking about Edward Mendel House is so that you get a better picture of the whole story. And we will put a link at the Guru Theories page. Uh, to him, and I still don't have the page put together, but this quote that showed up, and I'm not sure he said it, I mean, it's all over the place. All kinds of patriot groups are getting it, from white supremacists to, uh, you know, constitutionalists, and and uh, cancel the Fed, which is kind of a Ron Paul thing, and they have this, but I can't find the original evidence that he ever said it. When I read it, I said, that doesn't sound right. So I went and read reams and reams of his personal notes. Uh, you know, Colonel House's personal notes. To see how he writes. To see how he talks. To see the kind of vocabulary that he uses. What were the terms being used at that time? That is thorough study. And I could I could go into it. More and more and more and hours and hours and, and it was amazing some of the quotes. He definitely was a Marxist. But he hadn't seen what Stalin was gonna do or what Mao was gonna do or Popat was gonna do. He hadn't seen the mountains and mountains of bodies that were gonna be produced at, at, at the, in the killing fields of communism. He hadn't seen that yet. He just sounded like, you know, he, he read you know, he drank the Kool-Aid and thought, yeah, you know, this would be good for the workers and this would be, you know, create a kind of utopia and everything. But he didn't understand certain things about human nature. And that's, neither did these kids. They didn't have a clue. And I say kids. I mean, they were probably in their 20s. They could have even been close to their, in their 30s. But somebody else was feeding him this information because he talked about all the research he did and he didn't even know how many terms <laughs> FDR had. So, you know, I I quickly posted to their little group, I, I haven't seen them respond to it, that uh, you guys haven't got a clue what you're talking about. Some of what they were saying is true. FDR knew. Other people knew. People warned FDR. Wondered why FDR wasn't warning anybody else. Some probably knew why he wasn't warning anybody else. Because he wanted a day in infamy. Because in that one single day, he altered the heart of America. Created this surprise attack. Kind of a 911 of December 7th. (laughs) 
what would it be, 1207, <laughs> that uh, uh, this day, and people were outraged. Outraged, you know, I know where my dad was when the news came through uh, uh, about December 7th. He was in Minneapolis. He was stationed at Fort Snelling. He was already in the military. And there was a reason why he was already in the military. And uh, he was an officer and in the horse cavalry. Because uh, we still had a horse cavalry when he joined. <laughs> it eventually quickly went to a mechanized unit. And he, he knows he was right there when they decided to go from horse cavalry to mechanism. He ended up being a commando because he had had so much experience with horses. And the commandos had to move their machine guns and, and ammunition with mules. So he was right in the thick of it. And like I said, when I was growing up, he, he knew uh, the bushes. He knew people in government. Uh, he grew up with Hubert Humphrey. <laughs> His best friend was adopted by Hubert's parents. So, yeah, he knew these people, but he gave me insight that I probably wouldn't have got from anywhere else. And he also pointed out that we were in the bondage of Egypt. He didn't use those terms. I just asked him who he worked for, and he said, well, until July 1st, I worked for the government, because he was in a 50% income tax bracket. He he was top lawyer. Uh, it could practice in numerous states. Uh, he wrote law books uh, later on when he retired from the law, or actually when he first moved out to California, he started doing that, because you couldn't... You had to live in California for a year before you could even take the bar exam. Of course, he passed it, First time he took it. I know guys who took it like ten times and never passed it after graduating from college. But, uh, like I said, he he was writing the law books. But uh, I asked him why he didn't go into politics because we knew all these politicians. And he said, look, I'm dishonest enough to be a lawyer, but I'm not dishonest enough to be a politician. So that that's my dad. <laughs> so... But it gives me a certain insight into also being thorough in our investigations of a topic. And, and there's a lot more I could do on, on Colonel House. But basically, we're told, uh, you know, that, that this quote, probably one of the first places we see it is as fruit from a poison tree. Uh, you know, and slavery of America. Uh, you know, which is supposedly where this all comes from. But I, I still have not seen the quote, and yet I'm, I'm going to read it here shortly, and we'll take a look at it. And I went through, and I have links on the page, and I'll probably clean it up, because this is just my quick notes. Uh, you know, there's over 500 pages of the intimate papers of Colonel House. And I went through lots and lots of them. I didn't go through all of them. Never found the quote. Never found him writing in this terminology. But these are his private papers, his intimate papers, that are now part of the record. Uh, and also I read it in Senate reports back in uh, 1993. Uh, there's 590 pages, I think it is. Uh, see, I don't know how many pages. It's, it's a lot. It's like 500 pages of notes from the Congressional Record in a Senate report. And it's mentioned in there. It's quoted in there. But it's quoted in there because, you know, way back in 1973, you know, when there was a declaration of national emergency and these other books were written, 
this quote appeared. I can't really find any evidence that it was actually his. And it sounds like it was written later. So, I've gone through a lot of this material, and I still could be wrong if somebody can find the actual source of the quote, other than just saying that it was in a private memo in a meeting with Woodrow Wilson and Colonel. Uh, I'd love to see it. I'd love to know about it, and I'll add to this page. But what I'm concerned about is that people, even if everything he says is true, it is still not why you've returned to the bondage of Egypt. And it will not show you how to get out of the bondage of Egypt. And it will not facilitate surviving after you get out of the bondage of Egypt. Because that was a big, big problem with the Israelites when they got out of the bondage of Egypt. They got out of that bondage. They didn't have to pay a fifth of their labor anymore to Pharaoh. And they were free. And they headed out to one of the most inhospitable deserts known to man. <laughs> Actually, wasn't there a lot worse deserts? And it was a lot, a lot greener in those days. Uh, but it certainly is not looking so good these days. But uh, the point is, is they needed to learn things before they could be set free. And we've talked about this in many other recordings. People should get our podcasts, go through them. Keep listening to them. Go back. We have all the recordings at Preparing You. And every one of our shows, we're giving you pearls and nuggets of truth. And we tried to link them together. And I I spent probably 50 hours to 70 hours this week alone, because I got somebody out here helping me watch the sheep. But... uh, I, I went through page after page, linking them together. So almost any page you hit will start taking you to the other pieces of the puzzle. But you have to study it. If I put it all down in just one little place, in a couple little paragraphs like this is supposed to be, we would be canceled. <laughs> so uh, we don't want that. We also want you to create a network where it doesn't matter if they cancel us, because we're going to get stronger and stronger what we tell you. And I cannot, I am not supposed to tell you everything on the radio. That would be stupid. That would be a a, a huge faux pas. But those of you who are willing to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and start caring about your neighbor as much and your neighbor's freedom and the the freedom of your neighbor's children and the well-being of your neighbor's children, those of you who are willing to do that, which is what following the righteousness of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ looks like, then I'll tell you the rest. I just, last week and the week before, I, I put together several big, I mean, there's a stack an inch high of paperwork here showing you how to create institutions in the modern system that will help you facilitate the righteousness of God. These institutions that you you would put together and absolutely 100% control yourselves on an individual basis in a voluntary society are just like, you know, if I made a Tesla with, you know, four engines under each wheel and you know, whatever. I'm not sure exactly how he does it. A lot of electric cars do work that way. But, uh, and maybe a battery that's better than a lithium battery. <laughs> that's just an institution of man, a creation of man. 
But I don't want to just give it to anybody. You know, what happened if I, I invented a working lightsaber? You know, that was, that was a lot of people said if you, if you could have a million dollars or a successful business or, you know, or a functioning lightsaber, what would you want? And huge numbers of people said a functioning lightsaber. <laughs> I mean, that would be fascinating to have a functioning lightsaber. But if I did make that, I'm not going to give it to just anybody. You know, that's one of the things that Elon Musk, he's invented all kinds of things. His people are doing things that NASA never even thought of. And uh, even though he's done these things, uh, he doesn't. He didn't get a patent on. He says most of our competition is to other countries, and they don't honor, honor the patent thing. So I, I just keep them secret. I don't want people to know. And that's great. Well, that's what I would do, and that's what Christ was doing, which is why he was only talking to people in parables, which was enough to know that the modern Christian church is not doing what Christ said. They are not doers of the word. They are hearers to some degree, but they're not doers of the word. Yeah, I wrote something. See if I can pull it up here. Uh, in response to somebody saying that there was no more tithing in the, uh, the new church and there's no reason. Well, where are they getting the bread to rightly divide from house to house? I mean, what is, what is Justin talking about? That they're getting bread and food and supplies. Where did, where did, uh, uh, Paul get the money to bring relief to the Greeks. And why were seven men chosen? Because the Greeks' uh, daily ministration was being neglected. Uh, because it wasn't the local Greeks. It was Greeks far away. Those seven men, we know who most of them were. And none of them lived where in Jerusalem. They lived all over the place. They were literally internationals of that day. And I've talked about internationals before. That's what all these sovereigns want to become as internationals. But they have no idea what they're talking about. They have no idea what's coming. They have, they are just in the dark like those kids talking about FDR. They don't know the big picture. Well, I'm trying to give you the big picture at least one piece at a time. But anyway, I wrote, it is true. There are false teachers like uh, Creflo Dollar. I tried to remember his name this morning. Joel Olstein, Hillsong, etc. But that does not make you a true follower of Christ because you recognize that they're not telling you the truth. There's way more lies out there than there is truth. There's only one truth, which we talked about philosophers this morning that, you know, Divided all information into two groups. Opinions and the truth. <laughs> and he's the same guy that realized that darkness is just the absence of light. And your opinion is just the absence of truth. You're probably wrong about some of your opinions. I'm probably wrong about some of my opinions. But I'm working to find the truth. And I'm sharing it with you for free. And you know the real treasure of that? is that I'm sharing it with you for free. It's not that I'm sharing the truth with you, because I don't have truth in a bottle. There is, you know, there isn't... I can't write a book that has all the truth in it. Truth is way be. I mean, it's like God. Truth is... That's what, you know, that's why I say that you have your opinion, I have my opinion, and God's opinion is the truth. It is reality. 
It is creation. You can't even fathom God. Whatever God is, this this divine intelligence that is seen all throughout creation. Not only in this realm, but in other realms that now physicists are discovering exist. You know, supposedly all these people who don't... I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. You know, there's no heaven and hell. But then all the physicists are coming out and saying, yeah, there's other realms of existence (laughs) parallel to our own. And there are entities living in it. And they're trying to open a door to it. I'm just wondering... I don't think they can get the door open to heaven, but they might get the door open to hell. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's what, you know, CERN and all that are trying to do. But we need to be wiser. Christ gave us the answer. You know, quoting House is not going to give us the answer, Colonel House. But anyway, I went on to say, are you a doer of the word or hearer only? Do you even hear the word? And we talked about that this morning. You can go back and listen to that program. And if you join the network, we, we give all those things. If you have questions, we have ministers. You know where they all are. And they will share them with you. But this is too much to give you. People have no idea how much data and information are on our websites. Because we can't just put it all out. I mean, there are... Even the outlines of the site don't give you everything. But uh, are you a seeker of... The reward of unrighteousness. What they also call in the Bible wages of unrighteousness. In the New Testament. What are that? What's that? Well, that's the dainties of the king. That you can get if you register and apply for his free bread. His giveaways. His, you know, pay my student loan. All these things. You know, take care of my parents so that I don't have to take care of them. Because I don't want to do any more ought for my parents. Which is what the Corbin of the Pharisees was causing. The Corbin of the Pharisees was taking care of the elderly and the and the, the needy of society. And it was supposed to do that. Since the days of early Israel. But the Corbin, which means sacrifice. The sacrifice of the Israelites was supposed to be free will offerings. That's what they say. They never say charity. They say free will offerings. But pretty much... Free will offerings is charity. That was a whole nation and government operating by charity that Levites could not force your offerings. They could not make you pay. They they had no IRS to go in and kick in your door if you failed to pay. At least not until Herod set up his scheme with the Pharisees to create a Corbin that made the word of God to none effect because it wasn't based on free will offerings. It was based on force. Which is why John the Baptist said, don't use force, learn to use charity again. That's why the Israelites in the bondage of Egypt weren't going to receive any more benefits from the government. No more straw, no more leeks and onions, no more free food from the Pharaoh. But they still had to pay their tally of bricks. They still had to provide their, you know, their services, their one fifth of their labor. But no more benefits. But it didn't take long. And they began to learn how to do that. And it didn't take long that suddenly the government of Pharaoh said, you can go now. And then, of course, when you went, then they came after you. And there was this pillar of fire that saved everybody. So where are you going to get a pillar of fire at this time of day? (laughs) So, anyway, all these, I'm, I'm giving you a little hints of what's to come. 
and don't draw too many pictures from it because I'm not giving you very many hints. But let's let's get into the quote before too much time goes by. I don't know if I read the rest of what I was saying, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I said the rewards of unrighteousness is. Ask, I'm asking you that. Is your daily ministration to the needy, the widows, the orphans, and even the strangers in your midst at this time? Is it the result of fervent charity? Or does it come from men who call themselves benefactors? Just call themselves benefactors, but actually take away from your neighbor. Are your schools the result of charity? Are you paying in to make those schools? Or are you forcing your neighbor to pay in? So you can have those free schools. Are you forcing? Because the money you put into Social Security, it's gone. That's a fact. Go go read our Thomas Sowell page. He, he's an economist and he says there is no money in there. It was There was never a trust fund. Go read our Social Security page. We show you that the, the Supreme Court ruled that from the beginning there was no trust fund. There was no division of the funds. No. You've moved... And this is what, if you go back a thousand years, we show you the history of how we started to move our thinking to think that that was okay. And then, uh, you know, a hundred years ago with FDR, this is what he was instituting. And then other presidents came along like LBJ and Bush and Trump even and magnified that. So when they, when people want to point to Colonel House and say, look what he said. And they can't even prove he said it, as far as I can tell them. Maybe, maybe he did say it, but I'm, I have my doubts. He may have said something, but somebody has added new words or whatever. But here's what he said. Very soon, every American will be required to register their biological property in a national system designed to keep track of the people and that will operate under the ancient system of pledging. I could put all kinds of links to pledging because the Bible mentions pledging that we're not supposed to do that. And pledging has to do with taking an oath that you can... That's what the Israelites did. They pledged, you can have one-fifth of our labor if you take care of us during this famine. We will give you one-fifth. Of course, Joseph didn't make the deal for you guys. (laughs) FDR did. And... It's a graduated income tax, so that that's why my dad was paying fifty <laughs> percent by the time uh, I was seven years old, and I'm ten times that now. So yeah, it's it's gotten worse. Uh, you didn't even have to pay any income tax whatsoever when it was first created. I'm not going to even say imposed because it was only imposed on those people who signed up. Income tax on labor. Now, there was income tax before that, but that was on corporations. And that income tax before that, like I said, you had to make $10,000. You could buy three homes for $10,000 in those days because $10,000 was 10000 silver dollars. And that's going to bring us to one of the other things that he he talks about. And, and supposedly back, you know, even before, you know, the Federal Reserve... That's what they suggest in some of the writings about this quote, that it was before the Federal Reserve and before the 16th Amendment. And, of course, now we've already talked about the 16th Amendment. That's not why you owe income tax. 
That didn't impose private individual income tax. And we can go through all the cases and show you that. What imposed it upon you was that you pledged your labor in order to get free benefits. And you didn't see it coming. There were there were priests and ministers of different religions that saw this and tried to speak out. But uh, the only priest I know who really spoke out with any vehemence made some sort of deal with uh, Eleanor Roosevelt and withdrew his objections and said, okay, the Catholic Church is going along with this, and, but we're not going to go into that. Let's just read the rest of this. So this ancient system of pledging is what creates this situation where you have to register your biological property. That would be like your labor. It actually would include your corporeal and incorporeal hereditaments of personality. But we won't go into that right now. But uh, you pledge that in order to get benefits, in order to get security. And they're going to eventually say that this has to do with social insurance. But anyway, he goes on to say, by such methodology... We can compel people to submit to our agenda, which will affect our security as a chargeback for our fiat paper currency. Well, the idea that he's referring to the paper currency as fiat paper currency, it wasn't fiat paper currency then. Even with the Federal Reserve, the original paper currency was not fiat. It was redeemable in lawful money. So you wouldn't call it fiat. Now, I know a lot of people are going to argue that. But that's that's some of that terminology that just doesn't fit. And after reading hundreds and hundreds of pages of his private notes, I just don't see him speaking in that way. But he goes on in the next paragraph, Every American will be forced to register or suffer not being able to work and earn a living. They will be our chattel, and we will hold the security interest over them forever. By operation of the law merchant under the scheme of secured transactions. Americans, by unknowingly or unwittingly delivering the bills of lading to us, will be rendered bankrupt and insolvent forever for to remain economic slaves through taxation, secured by their pledges. Now, a similar system to what I just described was being formulated in the minds of many people, economists of the time, people who were thinking that Marx was valid, at least to some degree or another, that had a valid theory. But it would not have been worded in that way. There was nobody wording things in that way in even private papers. And that is not the way it actually took place. It isn't the fiat currency or the paper bills that has brought you into bondage. It's it's much clearer, much more simple than that. Now, those paper bills certainly played a part in because and, and they did the same thing in Egypt. They they used clay, what they call clay scarabs. They did the same thing in Rome. They had tesseras, which are clay little coins with something step stamped in them that had 
a value to get services, but was not valuable anywhere else. They did the same thing in Sparta, but they used lead. I don't know that Sparta ever used clay, but they used, they made lead coins. People weren't quite as gullible as to go with clay coins because they would just wear away. But they they used lead coins, which made, gave them some money to use amongst themselves, but had no value anywhere else. Israel tried to do the same thing with the golden calf. Because Aaron knew the arts of the temple, which the temple was a bank that they're talking about. Temples were lots of things, but they were also banks. Even, you know, we've added more information where archaeologists are referring to the temple in Jerusalem as a bank. And, of course, that's what the seven men that that the apostles said, look out amongst yourselves and pick. They were a part of a sort of banking system. But it wasn't a building it was a network. If you if you create a building with a central vault, somebody's going to break in and steal it. You don't want that. And neither did Moses. He didn't want to have a central statue. And we've explained that. Go look up our golden calf. He wanted the value of the people to be in the pockets of the people. But they were networking together to take care of the needy of society because they always show up sooner or later. You know, things happen. And he wanted them to have a network so they could take care of these people and exercise that love. That It's the free will offering and the making of that sacrifice that draws you close to the Holy Spirit. It is sacrificing for others freely that draws you. That's what Corbin, the word Corbin means sacrifice, but it comes from a word that means draw near. You're not going to hear from the real Holy Spirit until you are willing to sacrifice like Christ sacrificed. That's when you know the name of Christ, when you know how to sacrifice for one another. You're not earning salvation, but you're drawing near the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will show you what you need to know. And and also... Occasionally, it will bring a pillar of fire to stop the enemy. It may not look like a pillar of fire, but it will stop the enemy. And I've got lots of stories where I talk about that. Uh, I have to keep track of the time or we won't get through this. But then I could just make it another program. <laughs> so anyway, only got 15 minutes here. So, uh, he talks about them, you know, this transaction... Uh, secured transaction Americans by unknowingly or unwittingly delivering the bills lading, uh, bills of lading to us will be rendered bankrupt. Well, yeah, you are bankrupt. They just have not done the foreclosure. But there were, there were different periods of time. I mean, the, the depression was the result of raining, running out of collateral. But then FDR introduced uh, something you could register for, which was Social Security, where you could become collateral. And you could register your children at the same time, but you didn't have to. You could still deduct your children for years, but then back when I was first starting to have children, they passed the law that you, if you wanted to deduct your children, you had to get them a number. You had to put, you couldn't just put down like their first name. You had to actually put down the number. But so many people were used to the system already where they were literally indentured servants 
they they thought, well, I can get money back if I put get numbers for my kids, and then they'll be protected by the fathers of the earth. Oh, did I say that? Did I reveal something? The fathers of the earth that we're not supposed to pray to for benefits because the fathers of the earth are the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. Yeah, and uh, if you haven't been listening regular, you're going to miss some of this. But we have it all down in black and white and all kinds of recordings, and you can go and listen to it yourself. So, the, this slaves through taxation secured by their pledge, they will be stripped of their rights and given a commercial value designed to make us a profit. He wouldn't have talked that way. I don't believe he would have talked that way. And they will be a, uh, they will be none the wiser. Now that would, he might understand that. Because this is what was going on, is that they were trying to change the way in which Americans viewed things. For not one man in a million could ever figure our plans. And if by accident one or two would figure it out, we have in our arsenal plausible deniability. Well, the reality is the Holy Spirit knew about this way in advance, knew about it all the time. You're just not listening to the real Holy Spirit. I mean, most of the people think that they're having experiences with the Holy Spirit or having experiences with at least emotion. And the Holy Spirit is not very emotional. Uh, Experiences with the Holy Spirit, I've never seen them be really emotional. I mean, they can be uplifting. And they they can be powerful at times. Most of the time, it's a still small voice. And that's what the Bible tells us. It's it's a guiding light that says, this is, you know, if, you're, if you really want to go to the truth, if you really want to go to the light, the Holy Spirit shows you the way to the light. But anyway, next paragraph. After all, this is the only logical way to fund government. By floating liens and debt to the registrants in the form of benefits and privileges. So... In the form of benefits and privileges. Those are the dainties of the king. And of course Proverbs tells you that if you have an appetite for the dainties of the king, you're to put a knife to your throat because he serves you deceitful meats. And and Paul and David tells you that their table is a snare. And Peter tells you that coveting their benefits, their wages of unrighteousness, uh, you will be made merchandise and you will curse your children with debt. All this is in the New Testament. It's also in the Old Testament because it's the age-old battle between the forces of Nimrod and Cain and and the forces of righteousness. And most Christians have chosen to follow after Cain. But they say, Lord, Lord. They just don't do what Jesus said. They actually do the opposite of what he said. So this will inevitably reap to us huge profits. He wasn't really concerned about profits. He was concerned about power. He already had more money than he could spend. They're not, this is not like I'm gonna, you know, I only have three pizzerias now, now we do this and I'll have ten pizzerias. It's not about, they're not, profit of what? It's power they're seeking. And that's why your government is enmeshed with men who seek power. That's why you're not going to get any satisfaction from your Congress or your Senate 
is because all those men have gone, I'm not going to say all, there's probably a few guys, there isn't even a few good guys in the Sanhedrin. But not enough to make a difference, not enough to swing the vote. So, it's not huge profits beyond our wildest expectations, which he goes on to say, and leave every American a contributor or to this fraud. He would not have used the word fraud. That's not the way he talked. And it isn't fraud. They thought they were actually going to create a utopia. Because they had already accepted a lie that they read at least you know, from Karl Marx, but that, I mean, he, he wasn't the only guy writing, but he's one of the names you'd probably recognize. They, they're not thinking of it as a fraud, which we will call social insurance. Now, you know, the guy who invented the system of social security said it was sold as if it was social insurance, but the government is not an insurance company, so no, it wasn't. But that's the way it was presented. But they never said it was a fraud. They thought it was actually going to work. They believed in it. They thought this was a good thing. But these were men who sought power. They didn't really love their neighbor as a self. If they did, they would not be wanting to take away the choice of the individual. And if you take away the choice of the individual, you rob him of the central point of growth towards God. Because you need to, that's why God gave you a choice. So you could choose to love, choose to sacrifice, choose to lay down your life for your fellow man. Because then God will give you life more abundant. Christ explains that. Do you think God will give you life more abundant if you spend half of your life taking away from your neighbors so that you can have free stuff? Not going to happen. Last paragraph. Without realizing it, every American will insure us for any loss we may incur. They weren't going to have any loss except their souls. And in this manner, every American will unknowingly be our servant. However, begrudgingly, the people will become helpless. That's true. And without any hope of their redemption. That's true. And we will employ the high office of the president of our dummy corporation. It's not a dummy corporation. It's just a corporation. All corporations are dummy corporations. (laughs) They have no life except what you put in them. But anyway, but that's another whole story. We talk about that in a lot of places, explaining what a corporation is. To uh, foment this plot against America... They were not against America. They thought they were creating a utopia. They thought that they were changing the way Americans viewed history so that they would no longer be the scattered flock of individuals, but they would become a farm flock. And they they were going to create this utopia to take care of the needy of society. But not, you know, it's the same as, you know, all the uh, Pharisees were not evil men. Well, well, they may have been evil men, but they weren't, you know, like, you know, bad, growling, you know, like, ah, we're going to take advantage of all these people. Ananias was, uh, but a lot of them, you know, like Caiaphas, actually thought that this was, they had succumbed, just like Americans, thought that this system, a forced contribution, would be guaranteeing that nobody was left behind. That nobody would be left out. 
but they didn't realize by taking away that free choice of the individual, they were going to degenerate society. If they had read Polybius, if they had read the Old Testament in the original Hebrew, there would have been no doubt that take away the choice of the individual will degenerate him. Will will remove him because they need that choice to draw near the Holy Spirit. Because you have love is sacrifice. Yeah, ask any mother <laughs> who loves her children, ask any father who loves his family. He is and her are constantly sacrificing for one another and for their family if they're good husbands and wives and mothers and fathers. It is sacrifice. So the idea of you sacrificing will draw you near the Holy Spirit. And the light of and the still small voice will echo in your heart and in your mind and you will know what to do and where to be. But if you covet one another's goods, if you despise one another, if you take a bite out of one another, you will be devoured. And the systems that the people have created for themselves is exactly that. It is the people devouring one another. And, you know, I, I'm just racing through my mind all the links that I could put into this article and put them there. And I'll probably do more research when I'm running through these audios um, before we release them. But the reality is, is this this quote, which I doubt, some of it, is not the solution. And all these patriot groups, the solution is... To seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Create a voluntary society that actually cares about your neighbor's rights and freedoms and right to choose as much as you care about your own. Come together in the tens, fifties, hundreds, thousands, ten thousands, hundred thousands and start taking care of one another. It's called the free practice of religion. Because that's what religion is for. Religion is to fulfill that pious duty to God, which is to love your neighbor as yourself, and therefore your duty to your neighbor, which is to be there for him if a serpent's come to take away his rights. If you're yelling fraud, you're missing it. We have a whole article on fraud. I'll link to that as well. It's it's not fraud. It's foolishness. But it's mostly our foolishness. Because we abandon the way of Christ and, and all these ministers I mentioned and I could go down a long list of them are not bringing you back to a system of voluntary society based on faith, hope, and charity. They're saying that you can belong to a non-voluntary society that covets its neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority. Say, Lord, Lord, and you will still be saved. No. You'll be counted as workers of iniquity and Jesus will say, I never knew you. But that is the good news. A lot of people are disappointed to hear that. But that good news means you still, if you are hearing it now, you still have the opportunity to repent and turn around. And all those people who don't repent and turn around, we have to love them too. But God loved the foolish virgins. But Christ slammed the door in their face and would not open it up. Do not delay. Gather together with one another. Start loving one another. Start caring about one another. Caring about their rights, their property, their children. Because you're way down the bad road. 
And it's a long way back. And you can't get back on your own. But the power that was in the people who followed Moses and followed Christ will see you through if you will receive it. Until then, I'm just going to have to say peace on your house and may God be with you. Oh, we got lots of callers. Did anybody want to talk? It's too late now. But anyway, God bless and join the network at Preparing You. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.